0: Ryan Holtz is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Ryan Holt Show podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ryan Holt Show podcast. Oh, my goodness. My next guest, which I'm going to stop calling a guest, is no stranger to the show. I like to call her the Gold List Special. I'm slowly trying to convince her to change her name to the Gold List Special. I think it could bring in more business. I think it could be just a complete marketing, branding mecca. Um, but please welcome Jordana Gold List. Jordana Gold is a criminal defense lawyer based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. She is also a keynote speaker, and she's also uh, an advocate for uh, injustice, and she's coined the, the beautiful term, who judges the judge. Uh, again, all her information will always be in the bio. Um, but Jordana, welcome to the show and welcome home, my friend.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. So good to see you again. And congratulations for yesterday's amazing accolade that you received. Top 100 podcast for entrepreneur. It's amazing.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I want to let everybody know that this episode is sponsored by JHG Criminal Law. Um, <laughs> guns, drugs. And murder is what Jordana specializes in. It's kind of funny because I was having this conversation the other day and I said, you know, don't go to her with any kind of like traffic ticket or, you know, anything that's somewhat minor. She doesn't do that. She basically deals with the heaviest of of, of criminal uh, offenses. And um, she's more than just a lawyer, though. She's more than just a litigator. I mean, when you, you go online and see what some of her past clients have to say about her, she she really does care about what she does. And She really is kind of innovating her field and she understands kind of what it's like to be on the other side. And um, Jordana is coming on our show uh, once a month to really bestow um, a lot of her wisdom uh, to our listeners and our audience. And to be quite honest with you, Jordana, everybody just loves you. The feedback has been so great. Every time you come on for an episode, the messages that we get are just great. So again, uh, thank you for supporting the show.
1: And, and thank you for having me on. I really do enjoy our conversations. And it's always interesting to see, you know, we pick this topic, sort of this broad topic at the outset. And then organically, it just goes off in so many different directions. It's actually, uh, it's interesting to keep up
0: with you. <laughs> well, you know what, it's interesting, because, you know, I like to say people don't respond to robots, you know, as a human being, we, we are we all run on emotional intellectual cylinders. And, you know, one thing that I, you know, my whole mandate of the show is curiosity, but it's all—it's also real talk. And everybody says they're having real talk, but very few actually have real talk. You can attest, we have real, real talk. I mean, we go, you know, if, if it's in my mind, sometimes it just comes out. I can't help it, you know, and, and that's just the way it is. So I appreciate that. Uh, everyone who's listening today, uh, we are going to be talking about, I think it's really timely, we're in the last month, we're in the last few days of t- 2019, Heading into 2020, and I always say, you know, games are, are won and lost, usually in the last few minutes of the game. So when people let off the gas pedal, that's usually when the car gets into a wreck. Uh, here in Team Holtzland, and I'm assuming in uh, Jordana Goldless special land, um, you know, we, we kind of press on the gas a little harder at the end of the year and just trying to set up that 2020. So we're gonna be talking about are you motivated by mistakes or are you motivated by dreams? So, Jordana, you said about whiteboards, you said about kind of setting goals and intentions. Um, I'm shifting this over to you and uh, tell us what that means to you.
1: It's interesting. I had um, a good friend of mine call me out the other day for the amount of time that I spend working in a day and just the hours that I put in. And he he said to me, at what point do you stop caring about how much money you make and how many things you have? And, and, And I said, that's not really... The way in which I measure my success and I don't spend my days thinking, oh, my God, this is going to buy me A, B and C or get me, you know, A, B and C. It's really, for me, about creating as much distance as I can from the life that I was living, you know, 20 years ago as a street kid. And so that was... A turn that my life took and now my goal is to get as far away from that as possible in order to be an example for other people who are maybe struggling to come away from that as well as to be an example for society that looks down on people who are in the midst of their struggle Mm. and to be able to show you know we can't write people off really until they've written themselves off. And the people that have written themselves off maybe you don't want to do that because you really can get yourself away from that if you work hard enough and that's the thing right like I don't think I'll ever be in a place where I can just coast Mm. you know you started the show talking about the car and as soon as you take your foot off the gas it slows down and I think that's that's life right Mm. in general and so for me I don't want to slow down and coast and cruise if I can get closer farther away from the life that I lived but always keeping it in the rear view mirror because that is what motivates me to keep going forward and keep pressing on Mm. uh so I think in some ways I am motivated by the I don't want to call them mistakes but certainly uh choices that I make that I didn't I wouldn't repeat Mm. you know I, I I don't want to call them mistakes because that's really what made me who I am today. And so I may have lived the life that I don't want to anymore and I would never want to go back to that, but I've also never lost sight of it or the lessons that I learned from it. That said, I also have dreams pushing me forward and I look towards those. And so every year, you know, you talked about whiteboard and it's New Year's Eve and resolutions and what's everyone going to do for 2020. I sit down and look at where I want to be in 20 years, and then I figure out where I need to be in 10 years to hit that 20-year mark, and then where I need to be in five years to hit that 10-year mark, and then I break that down on an annual basis for five years. And so I've got to look now at what I want to do for the next year that's gonna get me to my goals at five years, 10 years, and 20 years.
0: So, I mean, you're right. You know, there's there's really no mistakes. I mean, people say winning and losing. It's not losing, right? You win and you learn, right? It's it's everything is everything is learning. But when your friend asks you, hey, you know, all these hours that you're putting in, you're basically saying, I never, ever want that life that I used to live. The very thing that motivates you in the same sentence, you're kind of running away from in the same sentence, which makes sense. You're trying to create distance. But how do you for people who are listening? It's interesting because it's a contradiction in a way the very thing that really motivates you and gets you jacked up and is probably a huge proponent of where you are today is also the same thing you're scared shitless of so it's interesting right what do you and so many i think most people uh, are kind of like that we kind of look at our mistakes it's funny right we've talked uh, you know in depth hello hello I was trying to figure out how long we've actually continued our conversations for. It's been a few months now since I originally you were on, right?
1: <laughs> I think so. Yeah, we, we sort of got out of our habit uh, in doing these podcasts. But you and I have continued talking. Yeah. And have sort of built on your rapid succession text messages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> trying, trying to
1: gain some insight into the Goldless special but, <laughs> so. but
0: but you're right and and in the 10 years you you mentioned several times you said look i never even really talked about you know my youth and stuff for 10 years you know you were really focused on you know your practice and you know becoming a lawyer and things like that how do you i guess now you're circling back because it's interesting the very thing you work for and ran away from is kind of the one thing that grounds you and centers you. So now you're even going back and I don't, I guess maybe the term is reverse engineering where you're saying, okay, wait a sec. I don't really want to put that in my past. I actually want to use that to inspire others. I want to share my story and really propel forward. How do you, I I don't even know what the right question is, but how do you, how do you make sense of that inside of yourself? And what does that mean to you?
1: So, I mean, I I appreciate that it's an inconsistency and I reconcile that inconsistency because in law school, in my first semester in law school is really where I had to make that life transition. Uh, The months leading up to law school, I was still living a a whole other life. My whole world was, you know, uh, criminals and people who are engaged in various criminal activity uh, as I was. And I got to law school and realized that I couldn't live two worlds anymore. Um, I couldn't live this double life on the weekend versus during the week. And so my first semester in law school was like a pure shock to my entire sense of being, Uh, literally in every way. I I quit using drugs. I quit drinking. I quit partying. I I even quit smoking cigarettes. I was like, I really went the distance (laughs) to turn myself around. And I did so obviously without telling any of my classmates because most of them, you know, were elite, private school educated, upper echelons of society making it to Osgoode Hall Law School. Like, they didn't know from the world that I was trying to exit. Um, and quite frankly, you know, my friends before law school were telling me not to bother with law school because I couldn't cut it. Everyone mm. told me, you know, you're never going to be able to live that lifestyle. So it's really torn between two worlds. I knew where one led me uh, and I didn't know where the other took me. And so I are took the path of law school. Are those same friends in your
0: life? Are those same friends uh, in your life currently? Because uh, one so the, one would argue to say, get the hell, get rid of those friends. Because anybody that tells you you can't, I mean, you want you want people in your circle that are pushing you and driving you and saying that anything is possible, in my opinion.
1: So the, the, the biggest opponent of me going to law school, uh, the last time we spoke was three years ago when he called me to ask what to do with his buddy who had just uh fatally overdosed on his own couch mm. so not in my life not in my circle it's still available to me because there's that history and you know it's like an old mm. high school friend calling you out of the blue mm-hmm. needing something that's sort of what i what i the the category that i would put him in um you have enough a sense with of guilt
0: like it. do you feel a sense of guilt and what I mean by that, let me free let me let me give you the context on that. By guilty, you mean, man, I remember all these people before I was at my life right now. Like, I get it. I mean, humble beginnings leaves this like I I, I mean you live very different lives, but I come from very humble beginnings, so I I know what pain is. My pain is a different kind of pain, but it's still pain. So, you know, when you kind of leave that world and then you go into your new world, there's kind of a feeling of, well, for me, not guilt, but just kind of a feeling of uh you know there's a loyalty there you know and you feel like by going to the new world you're maybe being disloyal to your old world so do you kind of fight that at all or do you feel any kind of residual there
1: not really I like I feel most guilty when I drive by certain areas of Toronto and I see people really struggling on the street and I I think that you know there's not anything intrinsically different between me and them i just made different choices and stayed focused um i also had family support which a lot of people out there don't and so i don't feel guilty for having that but i, I do feel this sort of sense of I, I wish i could tell them that they can make that change you know because that's really all it was right I'll, i had a uh, family that allowed me to you know attend law school and basically just told me that I could do it Mm. Um, and the rest was all me it was really a leap of faith and then I had friends telling me there's no way you'll ever be able to cut it and so I was sort of torn uh, my first year of law school but as I when I graduated and passed my exams I thought holy holy shit I I can do this right I was writing exams in my first year that were worth a hundred percent of my final mark so I, I cut everyone off, I cut all of my friends off, I stopped absolutely everything, I stopped talking to people, I just needed to. I was like, once I was determined to sort of do law school, I, I went full tilt. And, uh, and then it was in second year that people were talking about clients in this way that I was absolutely repulsed by, like as though they were specimens, you know, they were talking about future criminal clients and those people. And I was like, wait a second, like, I am closer in like I'm closer to those people that you're describing than you. I didn't live your life. I didn't go to private school. My mom's not a judge. I don't know what you're, you know, the way that you grow up is foreign to me. Mm. And these clients that you're talking about who have been through, you know, group homes and street life, like I get them. I understand what they're going to and maybe what factors were involved in their life that put them in a position to be arrested, right? I get it. I'd been arrested twice. I'd seen the inside of a jail cell. So for me, it was like, I I thought that the life that I lived for the first time, I thought I can use this to my advantage because I'm not going to judge people for the mistakes they've made. I, I have the ability to see past that and figure out a solution to their problem because really that's what the law is about, right? You've got people with a problem that you have to fix. And so and so I started sort of putting on the shelf the fact that the life that I live may be able to help me later, but we'll we'll sort that out. And then, you know, you start hearing about lawyers who were scared to go to court. And I, I didn't have that fear. I thought that given everything that I had lived through, there's no way that court can anywhere, any way be as scary as it was to, you know, be a 17 year old girl out on the street. Like, it's just not possible. So to be scared of walking into a courtroom didn't make sense to me given everything else that I had done with my life. And so I started seeing these like transferable skills in all of the adversity that I had been through that I was gonna try to pull with me. You know, the ability to survive, the ability to ignore your fears. It's not that they don't exist. They're, they're there and they're very real. But you have to ignore them for the sense of your own survival out there. Mm-hmm. And so th- those are the sort of lessons I try to teach the kids that I mentor now that are co- transitioning from street life. Is that like, listen, I'm not saying that the life was good or you want to go back to it. But if you can recognize the strengths and the transferable skills and the way that that shaped your character and use that to your advantage, Versus the people who have never been through that, which is most of productive society, uh, then you can use it to your advantage, and you're actually at an advantage instead of a disadvantage by virtue of that adversity.
0: I would argue that somebody uh, somebody struggles is really the only um, the only thing that separates them from the next person coming in. I think that people often spend a lot of time running from their struggles. And I think the struggles is the only thing that gives you a a leg up on your competitor. I really believe that because if you put a poodle in the ring with a pit bull, I just don't think it's going to go good for the, for the poodle, you know? And for me, if, if I'm coming up into whatever competition I'm coming up in, I'm the nicest person ever. But when it's, when it's game time, I mean, I'm, I'm only going for blood and I'm trying to get it over quick. And that's just the way I am because you know, my whole life there's there's two thoughts for me. I have one one specific thought that no matter what situation I'm in, can get me completely jacked up. My mo- I remember my mom was alive and, and I was I was young and my mom had my mom was um, at one point she had a, she suffered from mental illness and she almost went on this like extreme high and I remember she got this cab. And we get into this cab, and I'm like, can you? Like, I remember thinking, can you even afford this cab ride right now? And I knew she couldn't, but she got into this cab. All of us in the cab's like, cab guy's like, you gotta pay. And I, I think I was like 10 years old, and I can remember this clearly. She couldn't pay, so she drove us the cab to the cop station and started going crazy. He was this East Indian dude. And I'll never forget, the cop came out and told the guy to shut the fuck up. Because he was complaining about this $25 fare and the cop was like clearly this lady's not in her right mind right now and this little boy sitting in the thing and you're creating this big scene and I'll never forget how this guy had no humanity he seemed like a guy to me that would would gut the, the lowest of low on the sidewalk and those kind of people for me when I think about them it's the most motivating thing ever because I'm like for you to have that kind of sense on lack of morale on humanity is absolutely appalling so when you talk about people who are on the street or the way your colleagues refer to their clients that pay their bills to live in their nice house and drive their nice car you know and i mean a lot of these people that talk this way they're insecure as fuck i mean anytime somebody starts talking like that i'm like you're insecure like what's wrong with you right so for me those are kind of things that in my mind there's certain thoughts so for you your struggles is there any um one or specific situations that you're like i can always think about this situation and it just sets me off
1: sets me off in what way like motivates me mm. like
0: I, I think it just brings you back to your why you know it kind of br- that one situation brings you back to oh yeah, this is why I'm on this whole journey. This is why I'm focused. This is why my head is down. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Is there any specific situations or encounters that you've had that's made you feel such a way?
1: Oh my God, there's so many. And like each case that I take on that remind, like I have cases that I take on and they remind me of a situation that I was in and that motivates me to work hard. So Mm. some of them are on like a case-by-case basis. You know, like my own personal, I mean, the the bottom, I, I guess. I mean, there's a few of them for sure. But um, I, I remember once being like in the middle of, of winter, I think I was 17 or 18 years old, freezing cold, starving. I didn't have anything with me. I didn't even have a quarter to call someone for help. Mm. I remember I was standing outside Wellesley Subway Station in Toronto, and I actually had to panhandle. To get a quarter to use a payphone, to mm. try to call someone to come and pick me up and just get me out of the cold. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I just remember that feeling of having like nothing and not knowing where to get it from and. You know, I could have gone back to, to my parents' house, but they wanted me to clean up, and I just couldn't. I was, like, so far gone in my addictions that there was just, that wasn't an option in my mind. I mean, I had family that I, I could have, but I you was know, so ashamed at that point to have lost everything. Um, and I just remember that, you know, that feeling of being... Cold, hungry, tired—it was like everything, the worst of everything, right? Mm. Like now, when you get mm. hungry, you're like, okay, I'm hungry, I need to eat. Or if you're exhausted, you go to bed. But like, you're cold, you put on a sweater. To have all three of those uh parts of yourself just attacked at once—I I just remember it was one of the lowest feelings, and I have like an actual snapshot of that. I mean, there was many times where i was out there but you know at this one particular day and I, I remember calling uh this guy i know and just telling just crying he answered the phone and i was just crying he's like where are you i told him and he came and picked me up and brought me to his house let me sleep on his couch for a few days because i don't think i had slept in like three or four days at that point mm. woke up beside me and i went right back out mm. it was like didn't learn from it that you know that i was it wasn't ready to even that wasn't enough to, mm. to stab it off but yeah, I, I remember that that particular day as certainly being one of the bottom. And and now I just work hard to put as much distance between me and that. And it's not necessarily just about making money. You know, it's about making myself a person who can contribute to society and help other people who people don't fight for. And, you know, yesterday, Court of Appeal in Ontario released uh, a decision on one of my cases and they reversed one of the trial judge's rulings and entered an acquittal for one of my clients that I fought for for six years. And when he came to me, he said, nobody wants to take my case to trial. No one wants to fight this for me. Everyone just wants me to plead guilty. And he said, I don't want to plead guilty. I said, I don't care what it takes. Will you will you fight for me? And I took a look at it and there were so many issues with the evidence. There were so many issues on the face of it. And he said, listen, the, the police don't like me. <laughs> they will do everything that they can to see me get convicted. Uh, and lo and behold, that's what happened. I encouraged him to find an appeal lawyer. He did. And uh, the matter went to the appellate court on September 18th, and they released a decision yesterday, um, basically overturning one of the trial judges' first decisions that's and entering great. an appeal. Yeah, it was amazing. His mom called me crying. He called me crying, like couldn't thank me enough. Obviously his, his appellate lawyer is most certainly deserving of the credit. I don't do appeals. But you know, to know that I, I instigated that fight and did what I needed to do for him that gave, you know, the appeal lawyer the ammunition to get justice for this guy who had never seen it. You know, he entered mm. the penitentiary system at twenty years old. You know, the system really created what he became. And for me to be able to fight for someone like that is is why I put in the time and the effort and the work.
0: Mm. You know it's interesting. I mean, kind of circling back so you're you're where you are now, your 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 work seems like your children. I know you said you're never having children, but you, you still have children. You have a business. So your business is always <laughs> going to be one of your children. I mean, anybody yeah. who has a business knows what I mean by that. I mean, it's I mean that that's com- level of commitment that's, you know, worthy of having a child I have children so I, I don't think it's quite at the child level because I, I, I get poop and pee all over me and change diapers and you know yeah, I, 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 I have to either. tell myself no, every no. day I'm like Ryan you still sexy man you you got swag my Nora and I my wife and I we're always saying yo man we, we cool we still got this you know and we try to put some we try to put some you know sprinkle of flavor on it but it's you know it's one of those things where do you know why so 17 18 years old so you had family do you know why inside yourself you chose to i'll use the word maybe sabotage or not respect yourself to the level that you should have because when i look at people who kind of maybe had an addiction or you know are constantly self-sabotaging themselves it correlates with a with a level of or lack of self-respect meaning if if we say in 2020 here's my goals and we know the work we need to do to get these goals, and we don't do the work, we're kind of disrespecting ourselves because we're not keeping our own promise to ourselves. Right. It has nothing to do with anybody else. We're This life, we're running the race against ourselves. I really believe this. You know, it, When you start looking right or left, that's why when you look at sprinters or racehorses, they got blinders on. If you look right or left, that's like a 10th of a second, it's done it's it's that beeline focus right so for you do you literally that's why, why
1: racehorses do have those that's why absolutely race horses, they cover their eyes because if they look at what the other horses are doing they fall
0: Boom. it's a great
1: acronym for how we should live for sure Boom. stay in your own plane. stay yeah. in your lane stay focused move forward 100 percent. absolutely um, do i know why I, you know there's no one event in my life that i can Point to you know, out of all of the psychiatrists and therapists and drug counselors that I've seen, everybody wanted to think that there was some sort of underlying abuse, there wasn't. I have no recollection of any of that in my childhood. Um, My mother is definitely not an addict. She, I think, smoked a joint once in her life and hated it. (laughs) Uh, You know, if she drinks too much wine, she feels funny and doesn't like it. Like, she's super cute, she just doesn't, she doesn't have that addictive personality. Um, my dad does I don't know him very well he's been sort of in and out of my life throughout my life but I know that he's had addiction issues um, very very acrimonious divorce between my fam- between my parents when I was two I was their weapon of choice against the other so that sort of set up I guess the underpinnings uh, you know for, for my own sort of um Conflict, like inner emotional conflict. I didn't talk to anyone. I was raised as an only child. So my mom was busy hating my dad and my dad was busy hating my mom. And I was sort of caught between them and
0: didn't have a sibling to go to. You're an interesting uh, person though. My God, I, I do find you fascinating. This is why I just, I kind of, you know, I, <laughs> I, I try to chip away. No. Cause you, you talk about emotions and your lack of, you're like, I'm just not good with that. I don't, I don't express that well, but then at the same token, like you kind of do, it's really interesting you know I, it, it's I don't know I mean you kind of go back to even your circle of friends and stuff like that and I think that you know everything all ties in right you and I've talked at length about you know having a circle of friends that are like it's just a tight circle it's a it's a great circle and sometimes when you move on with your life or you want certain goals I mean some people just don't follow that and they just don't go with that and sometimes that's when the hard decisions have to be made You know, because if you're trying to reach capacity on yourself, trying to be the best version that you possibly can of Jordana, I mean, people aren't just down. It's just just human nature. Some people just aren't down for that. I I don't even think it's personal sometimes. I think it's just that's the way it is. You know,
1: I don't think so either. I think that sometimes people just can't keep up and I I can't apologize for that. I can't let people hold me back because, you know, they want to be 40 years old and still running out to clubs and, you know, doing bumps <laughs> of cocaine off their hand, right? Like, I see that I can't. I don't want to be around it. I'm not a part of that anymore. doesn't mean that I don't love them as people. I know, you know, I have a whole group of friends that's still sort of into that and has been into that for years. And I'm just not interested. I don't, I just don't go out to the parties. I don't go out to clubs. I don't participate. And I don't apologize for it, right? I have different goals and what they're doing isn't amenable to the goals that I have. And so I can't apologize for that, nor should they apologize for not having my goals, right? Like, I think that's life. And sometimes you just diverge. I'm just the type of person to not tell someone, oh, I can't be friends with you anymore. I don't ever cut people off unless they do something to break my trust or my loyalty you do that and i'm like an off switch i don't care (laughs) who you are how long we've been friends what i've done for you what you owe me what i owe you i don't care everything is severed like you don't exist to me anymore when trust or loyalty is broken and it doesn't happen often but occasionally there are situations where you know you realize like person just can't be trusted and i have other friends that are like oh i'll give them a chance let them explain no 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 there's no explanation for that when you're disloyal (laughs) you're disloyal like you can't you can't fix that (laughs) so those are the only situations where i really cut people off other than that like i have people that you know if they called me that i've known for you know 15 20 years Uh, and they wanted to chat, I'm I'm there. If they needed something, I would help. Like, I'm that loyal. I'm loyal to a fault that I would always be there for people, again, unless they break my trust or loyalty, and then I'm
0: I'm out. Mm. Is that weird? You're like that, too, though. Yeah, I am like that. I mean, I am like like that. that. I'm I'm brutal, though. You know, I'm I'm maybe, I don't believe that trust should be given. I I don't. I've never, ever said, okay, I meet this person and trust is at 100. I meet this person and trust is at minus 1,000. I'm, I'm already looking for you to fuck up. It's just right. the way I am. I'm a very realistic person and I'm brutal that way. And it's, you know, I think it's just a few things. It's not nothing really to do more so with the emotion for me. It's more this. I don't like wasting time. I don't like just sitting down and having small talk bullshit conversation. If that's the case, any spare minutes I get, I'm a husband. I'm a business owner. I'm a father. If I get any spare time i'm gonna just be with me like i'm just gonna be by right by myself because you know to sit around and screw around with people's you know i talk to menorah all the time and i'm like How? most people create their own problems life is simple humans are the ones that fuck it up period they're the ones that complicate shit right me i'm very direct right where it's just like okay cool like tell me what you're about and then you see the lolly gagging and oh my god you know i just this person's so real it's like too real for me and Oh my God, I'm starting to feel insecure now. And fuck, you know, no, it's not, it's not, it's not me. It's them. They're the ones that are so abrasive and polarizing. Fuck you. I don't give a fuck, man. Get the fuck out of here. Because, because for me, I have respect for humans. I have, I have the utmost respect for humanity. I have the utmost respect for time. When somebody gives me their time, do you know how much, do you know how much that means to me? And I, I, and I tell people all the time, if we have a conversation, thank you for your time no like, oh no problem i'm like no 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 no, it's back up thank you for your time you can make as much money as you want you will never get more fucking time so yep, the sure. time that we have you know that's why i say don't confuse movement with progress right every this motherfuckers out there right now they're moving side to side thinking that they're busy they ain't moving forward oh, they're moving so backwards. many so many people right i see the, it all the time incremental like, like busy
1: doing nothing
0: yeah so when I have people in my life, I call it the whole, the team holds casting crew, the director, the producer, the actor, the lead actor, the script writer. It's a, it's a whole movie. Your life is a movie. Re- realistically, I, I always say, who do you want in that slot, Ryan? Because you're only as good as your inner circle, period. I can know about somebody right away. If, if I say, give me the first five contacts on your phone that you actually talk to on a daily basis. And I know if I'm gonna beat the shit out of you or we're gonna actually be friends here. And I can automatically, right? So for me, if I, you know, and you meet weird people along the way, but I think you're right. I mean, the inner circle is everything, right? Family to me is everything business is everything i don't have it really any other gears i'm a two-gear person i'm very simple business and family my whole 24 hours a day revolves around family and business i go out with the odd friend if somebody says hey ryan you want to do wing night on wednesday i'm like wednesday night nah man wednesday night i can i can bang out like three hours of deep work i can you know teach my three-year-old son how to you know say his name there's so many better things i can do than just eat wings on a wednesday i'm a homebody though right right that's when the gray goose comes out, you know, have a little couple cocktails, right?
1: (laughs) Don't worry. I keep it on the shelf. I promise.
0: No. So, so that's kind of where you are. So when I talk to you all the time and we, you know, that's why I said, I'm like, man, that, that level of, of sophistication amongst human beings, right? It's interesting. You can run your race as you have, but you will never, I always say until somebody tells their full truth, and presents it the way it actually is, they will never have that feeling of completeness, right? There's such a level of when you say, this is my truth, it's amazing how the world opens up and your cast and crew starts presenting themselves. And then all of a sudden, these people start coming.
1: No, I, I agree. Well, I think people are always around. I've always had circles of friends. They've changed uh, over the years for sure. But I've also been sort of running my own race. I haven't waited for other people to catch up. And I haven't, you know, let what other people are doing detract me from what I felt I needed to do. And uh, I'm going to, you know, circle back and sort of ties into what you were saying. Like when I was in law school and, and making this sort of transition in my first year and in second year, realized that I had these other skills, I also realized the need to like level up. You know, you and I have talked about that in a few ways, and I needed to do that personally. I needed to take myself from that, like, party girl mentality into being, you know, a lawyer, a professional, and uh, having that different level of respect that comes with that title. And, you know, it's funny, I talk about wanting to encourage people to judge people for character instead of title. By the Mm. same token, you know, certain titles carry a certain level of responsibility. And Mm. I recognize that in law school. And I also recognize the need to like, just put the work in, in order to be successful, right? Like Mm. I didn't have family that were lawyers that I talked to at the time. It's funny now, one of my closest friends and colleagues is my first cousin who's a criminal lawyer but we weren't connected when i was in law school we reconnected after i finished and i didn't start my criminal career because that's what she was doing and i always wanted to carve out my own niche i didn't want to depend on someone else to sort of help me uh, become successful and build my own business and so i put that work in and i recognized this need to live a, a different life and build up that success before i could necessarily be honest about who i was and what i was doing i wanted clients to come to me, not because I necessarily, you know, was a drug addict the way that they are. It was, Mm. I want to be just a really fucking good lawyer Mm. and I wanted to work really hard for people. And it didn't matter what my history was. I wanted to prove myself as that lawyer before people realized what my life had been about previously. And that Mm. was really important to me. So, you know, from the time I entered law school at 25. Until probably like a few years ago. I think I was 36 or 37 mm. when I started opening up like little nuggets in an article about what my life had been about. And I started really slowly because, quite frankly, I was scared that I was bombing my career. I thought that if people knew about the life I lived as a teenager, they wouldn't hire me, judges wouldn't respect me, colleagues would be laughing at me. Like, I was concerned about hold, all of hold that. that it- hold that thought.
0: Hold that thought because this is a good point because I want you to continue. It, there's a level of credibility that has to be established, right? Right. And there's a level of, like, I asked this question, even some other guests I've had on stuff that have done really well in life and are at the top tier in their game. I said, if somebody comes out and says, I'm going to be a business coach or a business consultant, but they've never built a fucking business. And then somebody else comes along and says, I've built five successful businesses. Who's going to have more level of credibility the person that's talking about building the business, or the person that has built the business and then comes out and talks about how to build a business.
1: Well, look at Shark Tank. Could you imagine that Shark Tank judges were like, you know, first year university <laughs> students? Yeah. They didn't even have their, you know what I mean? Like, they can come across the way they do on that show and be as cutthroat as they are and offer the advice that they do. Because they're so damn good at what they're doing, right? Like they've achieved that level of success. And so, yeah, it does add credibility, add credence to what you're saying. So, so let so me ask me you this, Jordan. Finished-
0: let me ask you this, though, because this is important. If, okay, if somebody says, and this is for people who are listening that say, maybe I can't be a lawyer, maybe I don't have that, maybe I just don't have it, or maybe I can't be a business owner. There's a couple of roles that we can play in life one's the commentator. The one that, let's think about a game, right? One's the commentator, talks about everybody else, you know, critiques people, gives stats, you know, very educated, and basically is kind of like a a mouthpiece to what's going on in the industry. Kind of a play-by-play announcer, right? Then you have the coach. The coach, he's on the team, you know, he's managing the team, managing personalities, managing players. Then you have the player who's actually in the game getting their ass punched and beat, and then going home, icing, coming back and doing it again. Do you think each role has different levels? Do you think they are all respectable in their own right? Or what's your opinion on that? And think about the question. It's a great question.
1: So I think that they are respectable in their own right. I think that they come at the same game from different perspectives. And as long as they stay within their perspectives, then they have that credibility. So, for example, a coach is analyzing plays. He's not teaching players how to improve their physicality. That's for their, you know, personal coaches to do, their fitness instructors to do, Mm. right? Mm. They can say, you got to get stronger, but they're not the ones sitting there writing out a workout plan when they've got, you know, their suits Mm. and the little beer bellies that we see on coaches. (laughs) But they can sit there with the whiteboard and come up with, the play-by-play strategy because that's how their mind is thinking. They're thinking about, you know, analyzing how that play needs to go down and they're thinking about it almost mathematically, right? Like how to overcome the strengths of the other team. So I can't fault a coach who hasn't necessarily played the sport or played at the same level that they're coaching. Mm. Same with the commentator, right? You know, if that commentator talks about how easy a shot is, if you haven't played, shut the fuck up. You can't mm. say how easy difficult mm. the shot is, but you can say that was a really beautiful shot, or oh my god, I can't believe you just missed. You know, like mm. you can make those. Mm comments you can also talk about the strengths and weaknesses of players because as a commentator you're also an active observer right you're not a passive observer in the stand but you're actively making assessments and comparisons of all the players so you can comment on your own observations and your own critique I mean the commentator really is just like it's just a fan with a fabulous voice, right? Like, at the end of the day, that's why we listen. Like, (laughs) I think about Joe Rogan. I like that. Joe Rogan makes the UFC, right? You watch a UFC fight, and Joe Rogan is commenting. He is, like, the shit. I love that guy. So, like, he does that, not because he's been a player, but he has the credibility and he has the experience to make the calls that he does right we listen to him and we appreciate what he has to say because of how long he's been doing this his dedication to the sport like he's coming at it from a different perspective and i think you know that's life everyone's coming at life from a different perspective but if you don't have the credibility or the experience and you're just blowing steam like no one's gonna listen to you Nor should they, right? Like, if you don't have that experience uh, to show up and do what you say you're going to do, then
0: you're really, it's all just talk. So, circling back to the point you're making about yourself, when you were trying to achieve the level of credibility, did you know, did you ever think about, Jordana, am I the coach? Am I the player? Am I the commentator? Did you know that off the hop? Did you even, like, a lot of people, this is where they get stuck. And this is where sometimes the stuckness turns into frustration. Because they don't know, am I the commentator? Am I the coach? Am I the, the player? Like, So do you ever think of those? Like, Did you know that? Did you think about it like that? Did you say, this is the role I want and I wanna be the best at this role? Or I don't know what role I'm gonna be, let's see how the cards drop.
1: No, 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 I wanted, I wanted to be the player. I wanted to get into the legal field. I started off in civil didn't like it as soon as I got to crim I just like ate it up I read whatever cases I could the law that was coming out I threw myself into it I wasn't writing articles doing podcasts I wasn't even volunteering or mentoring kids even though I I had enjoyed doing that in my 20s I was like the horse with the blinders looking at one end point And, and that was just being a really good criminal defense lawyer. I wanted to be good. I took any case that was given to me. I was doing two or three trials a week at the beginning because my my boss at the time had a really huge practice. And he knew he could give me a file, send me to court to do the trial. I would do the trial. I would never be, you know, scared to I would never put it off or adjourn or plead the client guilty. He could count on me to just run it even if there was a 2% chance of winning. I don't care. Like I don't have that ego that can't lose a case so i'm not like oh i'm not gonna take the risk if the client's willing to take the risk then we're taking the risk and if i lose and i've given him an honest assessment like listen dude we got a two percent chance when i lose i don't feel bad for that loss in the sense of like my ego being bruised because i've lost because i know i've given it my all what is your record
0: how many wins and losses vanity metrics i don't know i don't even keep track how many of that. cases it's do you think you've tried like went to court with hundreds at this point i don't know hundreds you don't even yeah. know eh? it's know. funny because you you're not a vanity metrics do you know what vanity metrics means likes like comments for your own ego wins losses oh, yeah. no. so you don't care about that you're all about the mud in the game
1: yeah, I just get in there and do the work. I mean, listen, I've, I have files for all of my superior court trials. So could I sit there and calculate it? Sure, I, I think that I've done very very well. I've won some cases that I absolutely never expected to win. Uh, there's been a couple of really difficult losses. One of which of course was vindicated yesterday. I was telling you about earlier by the court of appeal. Um, I think maybe there's been one or two over the years that I feel like I lost and I shouldn't have lost. And that's a shitty feeling when i've lost it's because i should have right where the client was guilty you tried everything you could client knew that it was like faint hope of success but wanted to try for the sake of trying and i know a lot of lawyers wouldn't make that they, they wouldn't put themselves out there for that loss and i think that you know the fact that i even took that case to trial is a win for the client because for once in his life someone was fighting for him and that's what felt good you know, you know and i've funny. had clients say that to me like that's all You're they wanted the podcast, it was like, Fight.
0: our audience and, and we we want to feel like we're talking to the best criminal defense lawyer do you know do you know that if somebody called me from tokyo and even if you were licensed in tokyo i'd say there's only one person you got to call it's your dad a goal list. <laughs> but who's your dad goal list? does she speak asian i don't give a shit don't worry about that there's translators <laughs> for that there's translators Absolutely. for that She she can yeah. get the job done for you Everybody. So I need to know. <laughs> Sarah, you need to fact check Jordana Goldlist and make sure that her criminal record is really good. <laughs> no, no, this is good. I like it. it. Is.
1: I just don't keep I don't keep track of those numbers because those aren't what matters to me. It's the fight that matters. Uh, you know, I don't think like I said, I think there's been one or two cases over the years where I was like really disappointed in the loss. You never feel good about losing, but You know you can't look at it like that right at the end of the day clients put themselves in the position they're in for the most part you know obviously it's hard I'm talking I know that you're podcast reaches people in different countries you know what's happening in the states is an absolute travesty with their wrongful conviction rates uh we definitely Mm. have a better system here in canada i think that accused persons are definitely better represented across the board for the most part Mm. um but you know you put that work in and i think that as long as the client knows that you've done everything they can then at the end of the day if they're factually guilty and they're found guilty you can't own that right Mm. that's what i think keeps some lawyers stuck And I I don't think you can. You just do your best to move on to the next.
0: So let's talk. Okay, so you're a practitioner at what you do. You got completely obsessed. Now you're coming out feeling like my God and my professional side is great. But I've now uncovered that I'm an extremely, amazingly emotional person who loves to talk (laughs) about love, flowers, and iced tea with Grey Goose and some henny. Now all of this combined, which I think I it sounds—I think it sounds—I think it sounds fantastic. I'm going on my okay. own thing here, but I think it I sounds know you great. Are. Now that being said, truthfully, fact, you know, and you know, put the hand up. I swear, I'm telling the truth. I'm under oath. And circling all the way back to it's—it's it's so important. Like you got to the level you are at now, and some people say. Listen, Ryan, in order to be my full capacity, to reach my full potential, the, the word potential, it's like a I, that word scares the shit out of me. Because potential is just like, well, everybody's got potential. But if you don't act yep. on it or you don't execute on it, it's error. It means nothing. To me, it's like a disappointment. Because, I mean... Who, it is. Know, can you imagine somebody And the more potential
1: someone wastes the, m- wastes, the more
0: disappointing it is. You're like, wow, you could have been something amazing. Yeah. Could you imagine somebody says, hey, hi, Jordana, my name's Ryan Holtz, and I used to have a lot of potential, and I didn't do anything with it. I mean, you're right. like... So, basically, you're not a loser, but, um, yeah, so you might want to think about that. Now, here's the thing. Right. How do you... So, some people say, Ryan, I can't drink, I can't uh, do drugs, I can't uh, smoke, I can't do anything, I got to keep completely clean... I can't do anything. I got to go to yoga. I got to work out. I got to drink lemon water. I got to drink some green shit juice and all that stuff. And then I'm at my yeah. full capacity and then I can execute on the work. When I hear people talk like this, I do respect that. But then I think about it. and I'm like, okay, Ryan, what do you think of that? Like when somebody says to you, okay, I don't drink. I'm like, okay, I, that's cool. But for me, I feel like there's a, there's a, there's an element there. That means they have to have the, the, the circumstances have to be in their favor to me i think people do great work the greats do amazing work when their shit is not in their favor like they're they're, they you woke up and you're like oh shit i like i partied last night i'm not saying you gotta go out and do drugs but man you just had some drinks and you're like the next day you didn't know but that was the day that was gonna change your life for the next 25 years of your life and that person the greats they step up they're like fuck it i'm at 50 right now but i gotta go i gotta go Some people are like, oh, my God, I don't got my green tree. I didn't do my 5 a.m. club. I didn't do my yoga and this and that. (laughs) And they're just fucked. Like, what do you think of that? There's a level to me that I respect and I love because I'm like, great. You have that routine. You're self-aware. You know what you can do. You know what you can do. Then there's also a level that I'm like, but life comes and slaps you in the mouth. And there's that kind of little, you know, percentage that to me is the game changer. Do you think? What do you think?
1: Well, I don't do drugs anymore. I'm 15 years sober now. No, I know. Um, But I do drink, and I do think you have to enjoy life. You know, yesterday I went out for a great meal to celebrate uh, the success for my client and had a couple of drinks. I will never let that interrupt what I need to do the next day. So this morning I was up at 6 a.m. I was working. I knew I was going to be chatting with you, so set things up um had to organize i've got got a client that was arrested earlier this week had to organize his bail hearing like there's things that still need to get done so even if i've had a couple of drinks and i come home and i'm up later than i need to be i can't let that interfere with what i need to do and that's just sort of the level of focus by the same token you know wins like that need to be celebrated they need to be there's certain events that happen in life that if you don't celebrate Mm. everything just becomes mundane Mm. and so you know i don't often get that feeling anymore like i you know i do some great cases and have some great wins and if you don't take a minute to celebrate those then what is the fucking point Mm. you know i I have i have a junior associate that i I gave her a, a preliminary hearing to do it took like 10 days over two months and at the end of it she was successful the client walked on on two guns and a bunch of drugs in a house Uh, And as soon as she told me that she had won it, I I booked dinner for us so we can go out and celebrate. I said, listen, this is amazing. This is your first big win and it's really important to celebrate life's wins. You have to, because otherwise, like, what's the point? You know, losses after a while feel really shitty, you know, and it's easy to get caught up in those shitty feelings. But if you don't take advantage and try to stretch out the big, fantastic events, then really what's the point? same token, you can't let those celebrations interfere with the work you got to do the next day because you wake up and it's like back to the grind. It doesn't stop. You know, there's like there's other clients now that need my full attention no matter how groggy I might be or tired or it's so easy to feel lazy, mm. you know, and then I, I get up and I have my lemon water
0: and my green tea and <laughs>
1: and, and get back into it, right? Like that's it. You got to just keep going.
0: So, so you're comp- so you try to keep very um, I guess regimented like so now I guess kind of coming to where you're at do you feel now you're starting to you know do podcasts and you know write articles and and come out of the the brand stage a little bit so you're going from the player to the, also the commentator you know or the expert so to speak where you're you're you're, you're building that level of credibility based on the work that you have done and then giving your opinions on it, which gives you a level of credibility off of obvious reasons, right? So why the jump from player to, you know, and I mean, we call it brand, right? It's a personal brand. You're really trying to create the brand. The brand is equity. I still think that, you know, people get paid the most not based on skill necessarily, but based on uh, hype and audience. I mean, it's like lawyers, right? You hear that uh, last name. Even in Edmonton, we have a last name, and it's like these people charge way more than the average lawyer just because of their last name, and they can. And people talk about these people like they're, like this, nobody even knows. It's like this little twinkle, like, oh, you want to get off? Call that person. Like, it's like there's only one person. There's that level of notoriety. What is your... Uh, motivation behind kind of coming out from player and saying I really want to sprinkle uh, some brand on my name. I want to put some respect on my name as they say on The Breakfast Club. I want to put some respect <laughs> on my name. And don't say it with the T. You got to say I put some respect on my name.
1: <laughs> well, so I think that, you know, there's a, there's a few things in there. You got a few layers in that question. Like, I think that I...
0: I garden. ask 16-layer questions, I know. I'm I know sorry. you
1: always do. I'm trying to, like, <laughs> break it down. I know you do. <laughs>
0: Everybody so says I, that, too. So like, you true. ask it's 10 like questions. Like,
1: wait in one question, I know. It's the like text messages, and then you give me shit for not answering what you like hidden. <laughs> no, It was no, like hidden in the Hold layer. on. Like, no, no, no. Let's, yeah. Okay, wait a sec.
0: No, we got to go back to this now. So then... Oh, oh shit. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Wait a sec. And then... Okay, so then... Okay, here's what's interesting. So, Jordana... <laughs> Plays it cool. I'm like, okay, fine, you know, awesome. And then I'm like, I'm stuck so to respond to that. Like to the clock within 36 to 48 hours. Yo, man, you G bombed me? You G bombed no. me? I'm like, what the hell is G bomb? R bombed. R bombed. You R-bombed me? Yeah. I'm like, what? You're like, well, for somebody who says, you know, we should be stepping this up and this and that, you know, this is very basically disappointing. So you you still take note of it in the back of your head. So you like the response
1: yeah of course okay so <laughs> now i don't even remember the question uh okay so you're asking me about transitioning from like player to or commentary and then you were talking about like having that respect so that's that's sort of it right like i spent 12 years building that name and that respect in the legal criminal world such that I have a huge practice doing exactly what I wanted to do, right? When I started off in criminal law, I did absolutely everything. Every case, small stuff came through big stuff, I didn't care. Mm. Um, and then eventually, like through trying you know different cases and figuring out what I actually enjoyed and the type of clients I liked working with, I decided to narrow my focus over the years. and now I'm at a focus on uh, murder, guns, and drug offenses. And so that's the practice that I've cultivated, and I have a fantastic clientele. And I've built up a really solid reputation in the cities that I want to be working in. And I really have, through a lot of effort that people don't recognize, went into building the practice that I do. People meet me now and they're like, oh, you've got this great prize. I'm like, yeah, I fucking work for it for 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Like it didn't just come to me. I didn't wake up one day with it. It was through mm-hmm. planning and dedication. Anyways, so now I have the practice that I want. I have the clientele that I want. I have that sort of reputation that I want within the legal community. I had promised myself in law school that if I was able to get myself to the point that I'm at now, I would go back and teach people about what I had been through so that they could see it was possible for someone with my background to get to where I'm at Mm. and be an example for others, especially young women who don't believe that it can achieve any level of success. I wanted to be that example, but in order to be an example, you have to be successful, right? Mm. You can't be like, oh yeah, you can do it. And I'm like struggling to pay my bills. Mm. What what can you do if you're not doing it? Mm. You know, I needed to get here and I felt like, and I'll never know whether or not it was the right decision, but I felt like I had to be silent about my history in order to be as Mm. successful, in order for people to not see me as like, extra kid but to just not focus on anything to do with my past it wasn't about that i i never wanted my personal life to have any impact on my professional life and i still don't in some way you know i i I love it it's you know nice when people have seen my ted talk and they come to me and say like i really want you to represent me you beat all odds we want to beat all odds like do this, but I want it to be about the fact that I'm just a really good lawyer and I'll fight for them no matter what you know and no one's perfect and everyone's always learning for sure I'm not you know saying that at 10 years I have no skills to develop of course you do but I, I wanted to be recognized for those legal skills and the way that I conduct myself in a courtroom but once I achieve that level of success that I felt comfortable with. I wanted to be able to be that example. And so now I am coming full circle and trying to like mentor kids and mentor university students. And I'm also developing a workshop to take into universities next year to teach people to ignore their bias and start judging people based on their character. Because if you were going to judge me on my titles that I held as a teenager and into my twenties, like Mm. there's no way I could have the career I have now. It's not possible
0: so so now you're using a megaphone and basically trying to get your message out there louder because i mean audiences it's interesting because you you built up the skill but the skill again if it's not known i mean that's where marketing comes in right everything has marketing in it it's how many eyeballs can you get on whatever your message is right which creates notoriety around the message itself which is audience right And everybody's day trading eyeballs it's all you do all day long is day trade eyeballs right i mean how many, you know, views are you getting there, or how many people are there, or what are you getting on there, right? And you know, a lot of people who are extremely good at what they do, they'll they never get the notoriety for it because nobody knows about them. Right? Whereas right. people who are half as good as what XYZ person is, you know, because they market themselves so damn good, they think, hey, that's the only person and they can even charge more because that brand equity is built into it, right? I don't per se enjoy. Even for me, people ask. I'm like, I don't love marketing for people. I don't love marketing for uh, clients. I love marketing in general. I love talking about marketing. I like marketing my own shit. Um, I I don't like hand holding people a lot. I don't. I'm not. You know, hey, you know, Ryan, this and that. I'm like, I'm not great at that. You know, I, 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 I struggle with that. You know, but at, at the same time, on a global message. I love marketing because marketing, it affords people, anybody opportunities. You know, I'll literally have a side conversation with somebody who's trying to sell street art or or, or busking on the side of the road and playing their little saxophone. I'm like, dude... Let, let me let, let me break this down for you real quick. Okay, you got your hat out. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give you $5. No problem. I'm gonna put some respect on your name. But let me give you... I'm going to give you more respect on your name for this. Here's what I'm going to talk about. Do you know if you had... Do you have a cell phone right now, brother? Yeah, I got a cell phone. Do you have Instagram? Okay, I got Instagram. Okay, so flip that motherfucking phone around. Put your shit on live. And put your phone up. And then play on the street. And say, hey, everybody. I'm at the corner of Dundas. And, you know, little incremental things. And people are like... Man, that's a great idea Well yeah because it's marketing It's eyeballs right. Now you're the busker on the street at the corner of Dundas And he, every day at 12pm People can come and see you I guarantee if that person did that For 37 days It would go from 2 people To 5 people To 10 people To 15 people To, to the now the news is going to pick him up Local busker on the side of the street Every fucking day Put respect on his name Right? <laughs> so it's simple but not everybody gets that, and that's okay. You saying personal professional. Personal professional. I mean, for you to say you're trying to keep those separate still. I think you're having a conundrum with that because if we look on your Instagram or we look on even what you say, you're 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 like you're you're kind of blending the two and I think that and this is my question for you is in 2019, can you keep them separate? Can you keep your per- personal and professional separate? Because well, everybody think- now they're wanting they're wanting to know you, right? And if I see somebody who's got guns on their Instagram, shooting, and you got some science lab picture, then you got a, a picture of Bundy, and then you got your tattoos, I'm like, okay, I, I need to understand who the hell this person is that I'm um, I'm looking at their grid. So I feel like you're kind of in the middle, or you're you know I don't know, straddling the fence. <laughs> your favorite term. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I think it's been a transition. I think it's absolutely been a transition. I think that like once I did my TED talk and put that out, I really made that commitment to expose my personal, right? In ways that I had never done before and in ways that like you're not gonna come back from, right? You Google that, I mean I put it on my website for a reason. I am you know proud of the fact that I have done that. Um, but yeah, that was that was something that I struggled with when the, when I was asked to do the TEDx talk. When I was asked to talk about who judges the judge, when I was writing my speech out, um, really, I, I struggled with whether or not it was my time to be this public. as is my career gonna survive this? You know, can I broadcast to the world that, you know, at eighteen years old, I bore the t- like the proper title of junkie? and and today, I'm a criminal lawyer. Like, Is that okay to do at this stage of my life? But it's, you know, some opportunities in life you don't know that you're ever going to get again. And so I had to balance that. What if this is my only opportunity? And the fact that it's coming to me now from a source that I never even imagined, like it wasn't, you know, I didn't go out looking to do this speak. It was sent to me on a whim. And at the same time, uh, I had Sean Robichaud, who's a very respectable criminal defense lawyer who does a, a podcast for the legal community in Toronto. He reached out to me, I think, you know, within days of, of TEDx Downview uh, emailing me. And he wanted me to come on his podcast. And then I had to struggle with how much of myself am I going to put out? And it sort of all came together. I thought, now, now's the time, right? These things are coming to me. And if I don't accept these, you know, Offers or th- these opportunities now. Uh, what if there isn't one later? And I don't want to regret that. The reality is, by that point, you know, this was the summer of last year, 2018. Um, my career was at a great place. Uh, not that you know, I was finished building. I'm not finished building, but I was at a point where I feel secure. I feel secure in, in the client base that I have. I felt secure in what I was doing. Uh, I was in a secure relationship. So that foundation was there, which is really phenomenal. And and I think an important component as well. Um, And it was just leap of faith. It's like, you know what? These things are coming to me. I'm going to jump on it. Um, And I did. And I had, you know, like I said, I promised myself in law school that if I could be successful, I wanted to be an example. I wanted to make my success about something more than me. You know, and that's really what it's about. It's not just about me. I'm not more or less successful because I'm being honest about my past. But I can't tell you how many people reach out to me on a weekly basis thanking me for being honest and being an example that they too can be successful if they put the
0: work in. You know, that's what this is all about, right? That's the only chip that makes you different, though. That's the only thing. It's the only thing, but it's the biggest thing. It's the biggest biggest thing. thing. Sure. Yeah. It's for sure, it is.
1: But that's not what I built my success on, right? I built my success. I built my career on nothing to do with the fact that I was a street kid because nobody knew. That was a total secret from the time I entered law school until uh, 2018. So that's so not built, what I built. But on. I but, graduated. I I was called to the bar in 2008. So I put ten years of work in as a lawyer before anyone knew anything about, you know, what you say makes me different, and yet I built my successful career on the work that I was doing. Like literally blood, sweat, tears, focus on nothing but criminal defense work and building clientele and like going to the jails at Christmas time so that I could make sure my guys knew that someone gave a shit about them when let no me, one else did. Let me ask like, you. Like that this. was the stuff what, that made me different.
0: What percent yeah, but but that's my point that's my point because that is different that that's my right. whole point but you you built it on who you actually are you, right. you weren't publicizing it but
1: nobody knew it
0: but you weren't publicizing it but of course your your internal is still you I mean this is why your For level sure. of your level of I, I mean maybe we won't use the word emotion because we know how you know emotional you are but that triggers me
1: it's a trigger word for me brian <laughs>
0: no but it's it's you you that was still built on who the hell you were you weren't of publicizing course. it like right now in terms of your capacity where are you at in t- if, if i say uh in your life are you zero to hundred percent what percent are you at honestly
1: of where i want to go or the effort that i'm putting just- in
0: no man don't don't do they're the different. question no they're not
1: but they're zero, different
0: zero to a hundred what do you think first thing off the mind
1: what am i measuring though you
0: can't say that That's where like, you are in life where you are in life i don't care about personal professional where you are in life
1: as far as my goals like if a no. hundred is i've reached no. all my goals no, no. hundred? no
0: if somebody says right now you're just man let's say god i i i, I I'm, I'm not morbid so i don't ever like saying that but If you're on your deathbed or something, and somebody says zero to hundred, give me a number. Where did you get to in your life, in terms of your own
1: achievement?
0: No, man. So you keep going to the achievement. You keep taking it so objective. I know, but
1: so what am I? What am I measuring?
0: Human to human, just zero to hundred.
1: About what though? What's the measurement, man? You can't just throw out numbers and not have what you're measuring.
0: How you feel, your potential, maybe the potential, or where you're at in your life in terms of capacity not in achievements just
1: yeah, see, just how you, you lived your capacity, life but well i don't know i've gone through so many stages like i and each one is built up on the other how i built my life like for 10 years i was a drug addict so i, I don't know i was, was i reaching capacity no but that's what i used to get to where i'm at now this is so, what's
0: interesting about you you try to pick it and that's the lawyer in you maybe, because i i see what you're doing you're picking it yeah right? i don't think and that's okay way.
1: No, 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 yeah. that's okay. Because I don't understand what I'm measuring when you say capacity, the capacity
0: your life, to. Your life. If somebody, Okay, uh, okay. Uh, if somebody says, okay. hey, Ryan, Ryan, uh, right now in your life, what um, percentage of your capacity have you reached in your life right now that I think? I would say uh, 36%. But 36%. what are you measuring? Family. I'm measuring uh, business. I'm measuring impact. I'm measuring my promises to myself, my okay. own self-desires, you know, and So that's how where close I'm at. you
1: are to your goals? Like I'm 100% at 30, I'm at, I'm at, th- achieved all I'm your at, goals. I'm at
0: 36%. Because you're 35
1: years old?
0: No. 36? Well, 36. I mean, I think i like old, to live... So no, I'm th- no, I'm th- no, I'm 35, but okay. I, I calculate. I'm at
1: 36%. What did you calculate, though? What do you add up?
0: How I feel in all those categories and what I've done. And based on my own prerequisite not everybody else's prerequisite. This is such a great question. so,
1: so I think that I would say I've, I've I'm probably at 50%. okay I yeah. think I'm halfway to where I want to be and I think that you know each phase in my life is bring a springboard off the next and I'm sort of passing now from one phase to another when we talked about moving from like player to coach, Like, Mm -hmm. I think I went from, you know, water boy to player. And then I think that I think that coach comes before commentator. I feel like to be a really good commentator, if you understand strategy and movement, then you're going to comment better than you would if you just jumped into that role. And so I'd like Mm -hmm. to see, you know, coach come next in the sense of like reaching out and hoping, helping others. Um, and then eventually, I mean, I've mentioned before that I've written a book. Uh, you know, that's sort of my commentary on what I've done and where I've been. And yes, it includes the blueprint, just like you asked. <laughs> um, but I think that's sort of another phase. And I think that comes later. I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think that I have that level of credibility yet. To be as honest as I will in that next phase but I do have a plan for that phase like all of that is on my whiteboard you know like I said I've got a plan that like takes me you know into my 60s I've got that 20-year plan I know where I want to be and it's not just you know retiring in a damn rocking chair sitting on my pension right mm-hmm. like I don't have that I've got you know the investment strategies I've got you know you and I have talked about the importance of saving and investing and building and having Mm. passive income so that while you're out working you're still using your money to make money and I think Mm. that enough it's part of having that foundation so that you can have move into that next phase and that's really where I'm building right now is building that foundation so that I can take yet another leap of faith so I have a whole other phase of my life that I see happening that I'm not ready for yet I haven't Mm. built enough of foundation yet just like if you had said to me, if you had come to me five years ago, said, I want to have you on the show and I want you to talk about the lessons you learned as a street kid and how that impacts you now, I would have told you to go fuck yourself because I was not ready to tell the world about the life I lived as a teenager. I didn't think I was, <laughs> my career was ready. I didn't think that I was personally ready for any like negative feedback. It really, it took a lot for me to come to a point where I could be honest. And that's really what it was. It was like being honest with the whole world around me. Uh, So I wasn't ready. I obviously am now. I expect that to continue building and that momentum to sort of generate over the next few years. And eventually, I I think it'll take another four or five years before I'm ready to move into that next phase. So when we talk about capacity, I would say I'm at 50%, and I'm happy with that. Mm. You know, I don't think that I'm lacking a 50%, even though I have so much more to do, and so many more oh, yeah. places
0: to. No, your glass is half full. Like it's not a lot. Half full, not half empty.
1: And, and on purpose, the water yeah. jug is there. I see it. I'm building it up before I pour into that glass, and that's on purpose. I think that things have to be calculated in order to be done right.
0: Yeah, no, they do. you're I know. I remember you saying your cost-benefit analysis, right? You're all about the cost-benefit analysis, right? Always. <laughs> 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 no, I mean five years ago I wouldn't I wouldn't have asked you to be on the show because I didn't even know what a hell a podcast was five years ago. So I mean well, look at
1: that. I mean like now you're la- top one hundred in the world.
0: No, I mean life life evolves. Life evolves. I mean I don't know it's inter- it's interesting when, when when things like that go down, but um yeah, I, I, I think you know, fifty percent. I think it's a question. I think everybody who's listening here too, it's you know, to see these I just think it's cool how you can go to where you are, where you're from, to where you are now. And it's a huge journey. And you haven't done it. You've done it very differently. I mean, you... You've done it with different things, and I think that you know. Again, your tattoos and what you say, and you know, you are outspoken. And sometimes I see you put out a post on Instagram and you promote it, and you get some wild comments, you know, on your feed. You know, people from everything, from people telling you to go f yourself, to you know, why are you wearing those shoes? To I mean, I'm like, what the hell? Like, i just just what do I call? I I, I think the word would have to be just straight up gnarly. I'm like, wow. And you evoke that emotion into people, you know? And again, we, we've we never really talked about even your nature of your work. I'm like, I think that's such a, I, I don't want to say scary, but like you're dealing with a level of society that the average person doesn't get exposed to, you know, on a day-to-day basis. You know, it's like talking to a cop. I mean, their stories, what they see on a daily basis, weekly is so different than accountant going to work, you know? And they're looking at work, I don't want to say it from a Jada perspective, but they're definitely seeing the bad side of, you know, humanity in lots of cases. And there is bad. There's really bad, you know, and then there's injustice, which that's a whole nother level, right? How do you how do you keep those separate? Like, you know, the one we talked a week ago or so on the phone or whatever, and you sound so chipper. And I'm like, how do you like and I asked you, I'm like, man, how do you how do you deal with like murder? And you're reading and then you're like yeah you know i'm just reading some blood splatter analysis and i'm like oh yeah that's you know i'm just having my espresso i don't even know i don't even know what the proper reply is to that because i don't even know what to yeah me too wow like that's <laughs> like oh, oh, yeah okay like i i mean how do you re- like the average person i'm like like do you do you just be cool about that and respond like yeah no problem Jordana cool man have a good saturday or like yeah that's really interesting like for me the little kids like wait a second how much blood was there you know like i, did, I mean i'm a true crime fan right so i mean you know but then the the human person to me is like oh god that's no joke how do you how do you just kind of navigate in that and separate and make sure that Jordana is you know isolated from from that so to speak to make sure that you're you know, your soul and your conscious is good. I'm not sure that my soul and my conscious is good. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> I'm not sure I would go that far. But, uh, I, you know, when we talked about earlier transferable skills, uh, one of those transferable skills that I realized I had was this ability to compartmentalize. You know, I spent so many years living double and triple lives and wearing so many different hats that I could turn on and turn off, and, and I had to for like basic survival, that I carried those with me. And so I don't, you know, sure some of my cases get emotional, but when I get them, I, I assess them all like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, I spread out the evidence, I go through the disclosure, I generally start with the photos to really get a sense of what I'm doing so that I can actually visualize it. And I, I do so in a way that doesn't impact me emotional, even though I take on some really emotional cases i mean i've had jurors come into the room to deliver their verdict and they're crying and it's just been such an emotional procedure uh and especially because now so much of my practice is based on homicide cases i mean all of them are you know it's generally tragic i don't have cases where the victim you know deserved to die it's they're tragic it's these are lives that end in tragedy sometimes they're very young Uh, and you're seeing
0: the families of the victims in the courtroom and they're looking at you i'm sure in times that i'm sure i'm the devil yeah yeah i'm the devil
1: i'm defending the man that the woman i have one case with a woman but mostly the man that they believe is the killer, right? And that's the that's the part of it, right? Regardless of what the evidence shows, the family of the victims think that the police have done their work, they've caught the guy, and this is the one that you know killed my loved one. There's like there's a hatred there, and I'm the representation of that. Uh, There have been times that some have recognized that I'm just there to do my job and I try to be respectful of them I ignore them. I don't engage not because I want to disrespect them but quite the opposite they have to go through their own process and I don't know what reaction I would have if you know one of my loved ones was was murdered and so I, I have to let them be um and my focus is only on my client so i can't let that bother me there needs to be that wall i cannot feel anything about what they are feeling because i'm there to defend my client and maybe it's an id case maybe it's a self-defense case maybe there's a whole other narrative that they don't even know about right like that's the reality is that police have painted a picture of what happened but that may not be the truth and it's not until the trial yeah it's not until the trial talking like two two and a half years after the arrest before the other narrative comes out or all of the evidence comes out and so always i have to have those blinders on right my blinders are my client and my client's case and it doesn't matter what else is happening around me i I need to be there to do what i need to do for them
0: Mm. dark this is dark yeah i mean it's It's murky (laughs) it's murky (laughs) and as you said you're as you and
1: you have to laugh through it and you know i got friends and family that sometimes when i tell them what case i'm working on or what strategy i'm coming up with they like they can't fathom it you know they can't they can't get their head around it i mean you're right it's the dark side of humanity what people do to other people is uh it can be disturbing for sure and that's why it's so important too compartmentalized it's so important for me to not have that emotional reaction to the cases right i got a job to do and it's you know it, it can't be interrupted by the emotions i may or may not feel for a particular party that's involved
0: so last question of the podcast the one we start out with are, are we motivated by mistakes which you don't like the word or you know or are we motivated by dreams
1: I think that our capacity is dictated by our dreams. I'm going to borrow your word that I think for the first time we've like hashed out and I come to understand what it means. You've used that word a lot with me in the past and I haven't always been able to conceptualize it. And I think that,
0: you know, to a certain degree, I get it now. But you've actually said, I want to reach full capacity. But you have, yeah.
1: I knew, no, but, I, I but you actually life.
0: didn't know exactly what capacity meant before saying you want to reach full capacity? Not to
1: quantify
0: it. Hold on, let when me look at my. A number, wait a sec. On page two of the affidavit, on paragraph two. <laughs>
1: definitely uh, sentence no 16.
0: Affidavit. Hold on. I don't sign nothing. Yeah, I, I would like to. Uh, can I present this to the court? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you can have a look 70. at it. All yeah. right. Yeah. So, but no. But honestly, though, right, it's, you know, I mean, what are we doing in life, you know, if we're not doing the work, you know, it's kind of like that Emily, I had her on from the cons and kernels, and she used two words that just struck to me, and it was emotionally profiting. You know, I've never heard this term emotionally profiting before, because everybody, you know, reverts profiting to um, money or monetary gain, right? Do you think you're emotionally profiting? Or do you think that you're, like, do you think that now you are emotionally profiting? Or do you think you've always been emotionally profiting? Or do you even care, Jordana? I talk about emotions a few lots. Sometimes I think, too, I'm like, maybe she just doesn't give a shit. Maybe I'm talking something that she just doesn't care, which is which is good. Like, we're different people. Well,
1: I mean, I'm still human, so I like <laughs> the things that feel good. <laughs> And I don't like to feel bad, so you know, in a very basic sense, I I care. Um, you know, do I see myself on some sort of spiritual journey? No, I don't. I don't think like that. Uh, but and do like you I said, my this. job so requires me to not have feelings for the most part. I think I don't want. To feel my way through things. But do you know, know why I'm this is so unique? And they say, what do you think about this, I say, I don't, I, I don't, what do I feel about it? I don't feel, I don't, it's not what I want to do with problems. My, I live in a world of logic and reason and rationality and problem solving. And that's what you need to do because I can't go to a judge and say, your honor, I feel like this isn't right. You know, what, mm. what, there's no fucking legal basis for that. Right. Mm. It's a question of what rule of evidence is uh, you know, what, what rule of evidence are you reply, are you relying on in order to make that argument? Mm. That that's the world that I live in, and so how I feel is totally and completely irrelevant to what I do. And I I don't know if that uh, mentality existed before I was a lawyer, or I've sort of adopted that as a lawyer. But you know, for the last few years, sure, I do what feels good, and I want to avoid things that feel bad because that's just the. Basic mechanics of being a human being, but Mm. I'm not looking for a life that fulfills me in different emotional ways or spiritual ways, quite frankly. Like, I want to live really well, I want to be successful, and I want to help show other people that they can be successful. And I want to help show successful people that not everyone starts out where they did, right? Like, if I can achieve that, then I feel good. Right, it feels good when I can bring justice to my clients by fighting for them. But while I'm fighting, yeah, because it feels good. That's emotional, for sure. But does it it advance me emotionally? Am I looking to profit emotionally? I don't know about that. I'm I'm looking to be an example and help other people achieve their success and really expose some of the undersides of, of our world and how they've come to exist. I think that that's one of my goals and if i can do that then perhaps we can actually come up with some solutions to the real problems that are existing in society I have
0: respect for per, for for your perception i do not perception perspective because i think it's unique you know and one of the reasons even even having you involved with the show and again right you know with advertisers and sponsorships I i'm very cautious on those and i haven't even taken on like i just don't because i I want something that's so different and organic and and very, like, even if you think the, the last hour we've been talking, hour and some, if you hear that conversation and listen to it once it's up, it's, people don't talk like that open. We're, we're, you're navigating through feeling uh, complete, not vulnerability, uh, maybe vulnerability, which I don't think is bad, but you're actually talking out why you do what we do. Humans don't do that. Humans have a lot of, problems and apprehension with even doing that. I think strength is 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 in that, you know? And I think emotional for me, I don't think, you know, we we need to walk around like emotional basket cases because I think we make a lot of bad choices. You represent clients that only need you because they got really emotional and did a bad thing, whereas I'm sure they're sitting there going through logic and saying, "God, maybe I should have walked away. Maybe I shouldn't have done that." I'm not saying all of them, but I'm saying some of them because some people yeah. make, make mistakes. There's good people that make mistakes. There are some people that are like, oh no no no, this was no no. I'm I'm ready. For, like I'm doing this. This is uh, you know. But oh yeah, yeah yeah. But emotional. There's
1: bad people and then there's good people who do bad of things. Course, of course, I agree. I of agree. Cor-
0: of course, right? So so for you, but it's interesting. So over the course of time, you know, you're you're like a coconut, right? I think you want to be cracked. I do think you want to be cracked. <laughs> I really do. I, really do. I, I really do. I really do.
1: I must because I keep coming on this show and <laughs> I keep talking to you. And it's true. And, you know, you, you from the first time we ever talked, you are. You're so real. It's like, this is me. Take it or leave it. And I want to know about you. And I don't want to know about, like, superficial bullshit. And you, you cut right in. Uh, and it threw me off guard. I mean, we've talked about that. You know, yeah. you came in like a firefighter with an axe, like yeah. chopping everything <laughs> wanting to, like, get to the fire. Yeah. And, uh, and you've done that. And I do. I enjoy our talks because it doesn't stay superficial. It's not like, what case are you working on now? You know, like, who cares? Let's talk about why you're doing what you're doing in life. But,
0: but, but why I, I do that is to respect. people. But, I, but why I do that is respect it, because for me and people, like again, people listening, I, I mean, even all my interactions of people I come across every day or, you know, whether it's business or personal or speaking or whatever, you know, I meet so many people very seldom do I care, you know, yes, I care about the task at hand. Yes, I care about if we're a professional and I'm here to do great work. I'm going to fucking kill it. I care about that. I'm like you, you know, I'm I'm a practitioner at what I do. I think about this shit. I read books. I study humans. You cannot be in marketing and not try to understand fucking human beings, right? right. We talked at length about how you sell a jury. You, you're going out there and selling your milk and potatoes too. When you're building a case and doing an argument, that's sales, man. That's that's understanding what is going on here or, you know, you're looking at the jurors faces and you're like, that one is not with me. That juror, I can see it on his eyes. He hates me. He hates my client. OK, we're going to have to we're going to have to come back around. Let's go to Lucy Lou over there, chilling out, you know, who's like, put some respect on my name. I don't want to be doing jury duty right now. I got a motherfucking business to run, you know, and then you got the other guy that's like, man, I, I know a guy that was just like that guy. I don't like that guy you're dealing with personalities my point to this whole mess is that i think it's important to really cultivate when you know how somebody says oh you and i we think the same there's there's a commonality here don't worry if you know if it's meant to be it will be fuck that if it's if i am addressing that shit right now and i see that shit you just told me yo man when the criminal lawyer dude with the podcast reached out hey you know i gotta do this when the tedx reached out hey i gotta do this you don't know if it's gonna come back around you don't know that right you don't you never do so for me i treat relationships like that too And, and i think that everybody's looking to put everything in a category what kind of relationship is it is it a friendship is it this who gives a fuck
1: yeah, is this care. person
0: is this person gonna challenge me is this person gonna bring value into my life whether it's personal or professional um is this person gonna make me think about things a little differently and give me different perspective can i grow with this person maybe this person needs my help maybe they, maybe i can help them grow in certain aspects maybe we can continue the dialogue you don't meet those kind of people every day i don't i don't meet those people sometimes in a year so if i meet somebody which i met you i'm like no i gotta i gotta i gotta fucking crack the coconut a bit but other than that if you see me in another cat if you see me in other conversations you would be like that's Ryan? I'm like yeah take care man have a great day deuces boom you yeah, know I don't know like, yeah, am
1: okay. out of here. <laughs> and if you want to do <laughs> okay, small man. talk
0: with me like
1: yeah no yeah cool no, no, no. how's your
0: family? I'm compassionate it, and and yes if somebody ever needs help oh my god yo man I'm here to help but I don't I don't want to invest my time in stuff that's not going to give me time back cost benefit analysis and I do that with emotional
1: you need to. I think but, that you have
0: but to. But what's cool is that, it, you know, I cracked your nut and then you're like, man, you started you started picking up some pieces and coming back.
1: <laughs> I love I know. it. I love I did. it. I, love I liked it. it. I was like, it's you know so what? Crazy. You make me think about things in a different way. And I, I do. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the effort that you put in to do that. And for whatever reason, you know, I didn't push it away. I wasn't like, I don't know who the hell this guy is. Stop fucking calling me. I don't want to do podcasts anymore. I'm out. You know, it was like, no, 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 we had some great conversation here. Yeah. We don't come at things from the same perspective, which I really like. Like yes. we are prepared to
0: challenge each other. Yeah. And
1: and that's where you grow, right? Like we get diamonds at a pressure, right? Diamonds are made out of pressure. They don't just appear.
0: But here's the thing though, that point alone and here's the other f- the factor on that. When you challenge or I challenge you don't take offense and I don't take offense and there's not an ego there that to me in a lot of other encounters I've had, even if you do connect all of a sudden this ego comes in and somebody takes an offense or, or maybe I did offend you for instance, and you just run off, but you you know, you come back and like, you offended me, but like have the conversation because somebody could offend you without knowing they offended you. There's none of that. And I think that that is unique. And I do find, and I ask myself lots is, why do humans get so sensitive when it comes to that? Or why does egos start to come up when all of a sudden, you know, somebody says, well, I disagree with your point. Here's why I disagree. Okay. Like, I don't take offense to that. You're allowed to disagree. I don't want yes people in my life. I don't want yes men. I don't want yes women. My wife, I married her. She kicks my fucking ass, right?
1: I like it. That's why I you like- married
0: her. That's yeah, why you married yeah.
1: her. Yeah. 100%, that is why you married her. I don't want yes people. people. like, I need that challenge. Me too, I'm bored. If you can't put me in my place, like, no, I can't. I need that. I need yeah. someone to call me on my shit. And that's something that you've done throughout our friendship is like, when I detract emotionally, you'll call me out on it. And it's like, I, you know, I've got very few people in my life that call me out on anything at all. So when I meet people that are prepared, to call me out on my shit like you know what i like that and i like i said the same way i don't have the kind of ego that can't take a losing case to trial like what Mm. i would perceive as a losing case i also don't have the kind of ego that when you challenge me For me, I look at it as like, you're giving me a different perspective to think about. You're not telling me that my perspective is wrong. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the only way to know that is because you're challenged, right? Like if I don't challenge you on the way that you see something, you're always gonna see it that way. When maybe if you saw it from a different angle, it opens up new doors to you. And like, I think that we as humans grow through challenge same way a diamond is shine through pressure right like that's what it is you're putting pressure on another human being to be better and, and i think that's at the end of the day what it's all about
0: the, the analogy i give i mean if, if if somebody's dressed up and they're gonna go out and accept this award and you're letting your mads go up on the stage with these tight pants that are gonna completely crack open you don't love your man. You're not looking out for the person, man. You gotta, you gotta look out for your homie and put some respect on the name. When somebody comes to you and says, yo, man, we down? you like, be honest with them. Like, yo, man. Yeah. You look whack right now. Like, you gotta, you gotta do something different here. I'm just being- <laughs> I, I gotta be real with you right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jordette, as we wrap up here, is there anything you wanted to add? Uh, any words of wisdom or, or statement? Again, you know, the topic of our, our show is, you know, are we motivated by mistakes or dreams? We went all the way around and around and up and down, but there's a lot to be taken away. So the last note goes to you.
1: I think we always go around and around and I, uh, I think that it's, it's always an amazing discussion that we can both grow from and hopefully our listeners can also pull tidbits that are helpful to them moving forward you know I think that I have uh, tattooed on my entire back a piece that reminds me of the life that I used to live And it's on my back because that's what needs to push me forward. I have it tattooed so that I never forget where I'm coming from, but it's also not going to stand in front of me and block my path. It pushes me from behind. And so I think that we can be motivated by the mistakes or misfortunes or situations of adversity that we've been through. But I think what we always need to keep in front of us, you know, like the racehorse with the blinders on is the goals that we have and the capacity we're trying to reach and the life we're trying to live because that's what we need to move forward for. So that, that's my take.
0: Everyone, this has been another episode of the Rhino Show Podcast. Again, sponsored by JHG Criminal Law. Uh, Jordana's information will be in the uh, notes section. I kind of giggled to myself because if somebody ever reached out to her, they would never tell her or me it was from this because... Uh, Nobody's going to come back and say, hey, my cousin murdered somebody, Ryan. Just so you know, I got a referral over to Jordana. But you know where to find her. (laughs) You could do it quietly. You could do it anonymously. It's none of my business, but she's there at your service. Again, uh, really cool. Top 100 iTunes uh, under entrepreneurship in Canada. Really excited about that. It's really interesting because uh, they say something like 97% of podcasts fail before they even uh, hit episode 30. We are now on episode 81 and realistically the first you know half a year i didn't take the podcast seriously at all so this is really uh probably the last six to nine months worth of work consistently we have some great guests coming on the show we have some great things happening for you uh again please leave a review on on itunes google play stitcher and soundcloud wherever you consume the podcast and always remember curiosity should be your motherfucking mandate have a great day everybody